0: everyone. Welcome to the Women Wide for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Shalom. You may be thinking, does the world need yet another podcast? As a physician in practice, I have been intrigued by the fact that despite our education, despite the abundance of information and advanced means in a country like ours, women struggle for decades with troubling symptoms to seek help, or even when they seek help, suffer for years before they can get a resolution. It is my obsession to understand, one, this culture. Number two, understand how we can create health and move away from this preoccupation of diagnosing and managing disease. Therefore, one of my passions is to teach both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with the knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering the right medications, which has been presented today as our only option, as it certainly might be the only option if we choose to do nothing different. But to truly live fulfilling lives, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal. When it comes to health, there is a finish line and there is a timeline to get to it. We help you get there with a different way of thinking. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt it fell short somehow, let us know how we can improve it. Let's get on to today's podcast. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Shalom. Welcome to another podcast. This podcast is interesting because as much as we do functional medicine, here is a physician who had identified a specific, unique problem. If you are a woman who is in the perimenopausal age, which means in your early 40s, mid 40s, or late 40s, and have experienced a sort of weight gain where your middle age and your middle is expanding, and nothing about your life has changed, your diet has not changed, your exercise has not changed, but you just can't seem to stop this weight gain, this is the podcast you wanna listen to. So Dr. Dr. Mary Claire Haver has created this unique path, a diet that would specifically address this specific problem. It's so unique. She had tried several diets and eventually put a protocol together which consistently worked for this group of people. If you are one of those, I want you to listen to this podcast, and I will have in the show notes the link to actually go to her, um, the Galveston diet, which is what she has formulated. It has a lot of fasting, it has some keto components, and it has um, nutrient-dense meals. And what... I see from all the testimonials is that it is so easy to follow and is easy to abide by. So what I invite you to do is to listen to this and let us know how it has helped you. Without further delay, let's go into my conversation with Dr. Mary Claire Haver. Hi, everyone, Dr. Chalam. So like I promised in the afternoon, I know we're just a few minutes behind. I'm welcoming to our podcast, Dr. Mary Claire, Claire Haver, who has actually formulated the Galveston diet. But as always, I'd like to go into a history of why a physician gets onto a Diet program or creates a diet program, and do we need another diet program? I think, right? right. Uh, like every decade, there's something new. So, before we get started, um, Dr. Havel, if you could just run your background. I know you're an ObGyn, which is very unusual um, for you know for them to get interested in nutrition. Mm-hmm. From what I like an internist, my bread and butter is metabolic syndrome, mm-hmm. and I constantly am asked to talk about nutrition, um, and I never got, I got zero training, just like you probably did. And I was like rendering advice like I knew what I was doing years ago, till I figured it out and became a functional medical, and I took the functional medical track. So tell me about your history. Um, I know you're an OBGYN, and what prompted you to do what you're doing now? So
1: I um, actually have an undergraduate degree in geology, of all things. And, okay. Um, loved it in school. Mm-hmm. Loved, you know, it was my, I wasn't a great student in high school. I never really tried. I didn't have the right pressure put on me, so to speak. Um, but then once I got to university, I um, didn't do very well my first semester and then got really motivated, like, what do I want out of life? So I took a bunch of ologies to, and told myself I was going to get an A in every class. And so, which, you know, really triggered my type A neuroses. Um, but I did that and I kind of fell in love with science and geology at the time. And, uh, at the time they had tons of scholarship money because there was, um, what we call the oil bust. It was in the eighties and oil prices were really low. And I lived in a community that was heavily dependent on the oil business. So we're like, Hey, you want to major in this, we're going to just pay your, your whole way. And I was like, okay, my parents, we were not wealthy. I was paying my way to college, so it just seemed like a good deal. Um, once I got out of graduate school and started working, I realized I just didn't see myself doing that forever. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I needed to do something significant um, to, if I wasn't going to go forth and get a PhD in geology. So... I kicked around a few ideas and said, you know, let me just try med school and see what happens or I'll take the MCAT. So I, li- I mean, this was before the internet. So I got a book, like the idiot's guide to getting medical school equivalent, followed the steps. Thank God with my science background, I had almost everything. I only had to take like advanced chem, And then within, you know, nine months I was accepted to med school and off I went. Um, it sounds really easy, but it was a long working I know. So... And, like, in medical school, you know, I wasn't, I had some idea of what I thought I wanted, totally went a different direction, fell in love with OBGen on the floor when we did our rotations and decided to pursue that. Um, Did my residency, so I did med school at LSU in Louisiana, and then did my residency at University of Texas Medical Branch here in Galveston, Texas. Um, My husband was an engineer that I met, and I always joke that that's the reason why God put me at the oil company was to meet my husband. And then he, you know, we kind of decided Houston, Dallas, Denver for training programs, because it would be a place where both of us could work. Unfortunately, I had done an elective here as a senior med student and just fell in love with it and matched here. So, um, graduated in 98 from training, went to private practice, a traditional straight up, you know, um, mom and pop shop with 10 docs in the Houston area. and within year, I would say. I realized I missed that academic environment. I really missed people who were driven by evidence-based things and I missed, you know, M&M and having studies to back things up. So I started kind of looking around and called my old chairman and he said, come back, we'd love to have you. So I went back on as faculty um, at the university where I trained and we moved back to Galveston from Houston. Um, so, you know, When I was younger and first getting out there with my patients, in OB, you tend to be young and start with young patients, so you're delivering a lot of babies, you have so much more energy, getting up at 3 in the morning is no big deal back then, you know, I was having my own babies at the time, Um, and then you're aging with your patients, right? So I started noticing my patients were complaining a lot in their 30s, you know, late 30s, mostly 40s about, hey, I'm gaining weight, I, and I don't know why, and these were people who had not really had a weight problem for a lot of their lives, or right. maybe five or ten pounds, but, you know, then all of a sudden, it's like every year when they're coming in for their well one, it's this three to five pound gang, 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 and they're like, I'm not doing anything different, I'm working out, I mean, you know, so like you, I'm like, what did they teach me in school? Work out more, eat less, yes. new, you know, new, third law of thermodynamics. They're like, I'm doing that, I'm like, are oh, you really really, <laughs> So I'm going to go to food journals and, you know, they're tracking their calories. Um, no fat. But so you know me. what I'm seeing is they're not trying hard enough. They're not being yeah. Treated, yeah. Be honest. And it honestly was not until I started going through menopause and experiencing the same <laughs> symptoms. Combined with a sudden weight gain when I lost my brother and I went through a big grief. You know, right. like fell off the deep end nutritionally and everything and kind of woke up in my late 40s, 20 pounds overweight and said, okay, I'm going to do all the things I taught my patients to do. Work out more, eat less. I was downloading apps to track calories. I was two a days in the gym. I was obsessed. And
0: Weighing was like,
1: yourself three times a day. Yeah. And like insane. Like My husband... I was like, he travels a lot for work, Go like a month at a time, and he'd be going to get on the plane, the driver would be picking him up, and I'd say, when you get back, you're going to have the wife you deserve, and he's like, I have the wife I deserve, you're just crazy, and you need to, like, figure out what's going on in your life, but, but don't blame it on me, so <laughs> 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 right. then I was like, okay, I don't know anything about nutrition. I don't understand what's going on at the university that I was employed at the time. I just marched over to the nutrition department and said, hey, you know, what's going on? I've got all these patients complaining of the same thing. There's nothing in the OBGEN, you know, medical literature that gives me a why. It just says it happens, and that's just part of life. But I, I got to fix this. Like, I'm not okay with this. And they're like, look, the studies we're doing over here are 25-year-old male athletes, astronauts, because we're tied to NASA because of Houston. Right and elderly. They do a lot of research on the elderly. And they're like, nobody does studies on women your age. Not a lot. So I was like, okay. So they said, let's extrapolate. So we start pulling, you know, I am doing deep dives. I'm looking in obscure nutritional journals. You know, No training on this. I'm just desperate. And I start noticing this recurring theme, inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. I'm like, okay. So I know that from my OBGEN training that Inflammation levels go up just from the decrease of estrogen. That natural estrogen, not exogenous, not replacement, but natural estrogen is a natural anti-inflammatory hormone um, on whatever biochemical pathway that is. And right. listeners, I don't want to bore them. But when we take that away, it's more than just the withdrawal of estrogen. It's it's, it's more to do with everything breaking down in the ovates, you know that loss of all of those hormones starts leading to increased inflammatory levels. Plus just the inflammation of aging or inflammation, those levels go up. When we start getting the centripetal fat distribution, which you probably know from your metabolic patients, right. you know that also is an inflammatory organ. I'm like, okay, this seems to be a pretty good why or how. How can we fix it? And everything in the day, everything is nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Cut out the things that cause inflammation and add back in the things that fight it. And, there was, and this is for chronic inflammation, not when you step on a nail or have an infection, but, you know, they're, they're chronic. Right. So I'm like, okay, okay, this makes sense to me. So I also did a deep dive into Mark Madsen's work. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff in the NIH on neurodegenerative disease. Mm-hmm. And, yes. So he does all the work on IF right now. He just published in New England Journal. Um, on intermittent fasting. I'm sorry, IF is intermittent fasting. Yes, so, yes. Let me try this fasting thing. Let me add in some nutritional changes that reflect quality of food and not quantity. Let me yes. stop counting calories because it's not working for anybody I know. Not at this age, and at least not long term. And let me see what I can do about this insane addiction we have as a country to sugar, you know, right. processed added sugars and processed carbohydrates. Right. So I just came up with this plan. And I practiced on myself first. And literally, it was like magic. I was sleeping like a baby. The hot flashes were so much better. My joint pain was better. I And then the weight just slowly started melting off, just, just coming off. And I was like, whoa, okay, okay, this is a thing. Like, So my girlfriends, of course, are like, what are you doing? We want in on this. So I go to Office Depot down the street, and I make some copies of my little plan, and I just start handing it out. and they started telling friends. My patients were asking. We live in a small town. I'm yeah. handing all this out. People are telling their friends. It gets out on Facebook. People are reaching out to me on Facebook. So I started, I was like, maybe I can make this a study. So I reached out to my academic um, institution and said, you know, maybe we can make this an IRB, which is Institutional Review Board Study. Mm-hmm. And I can recruit um, patients through Facebook. Well, that ended up being hard to do with all the legal stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the consent and people are going crazy on Facebook. I'm like, "All right, I'm not going to make it a study. I'm not trying to prove anything scientifically. I just want to help people." So, I ended up doing these little focus groups of about 100 people in private Facebook groups, one at a time and running them through the program and it allowed me to kind of determine get a lot of feedback. People were we were working on meal plans all together, you know, just that community and involvement and, and And about a year and a half, I developed like a course. And then I had some savvy friends in medicine who were like, this needs to be a business. You've worked too hard on this. This is your intellectual property. You need to make this into something. I've tried so many things that failed. I promise I did an ebook. It was a disaster. I did all these things, but I ended up doing an online course. Yes. And just threw it out there. And in our first year, so in 2018, we started in August, August, 2018 to the end of December, we did six figures. And in 2019, I mean, we had over 23,000 students enrolled.
0: Yeah, that's and, amazing. Which means it speaks to the program actually working.
1: Yes. I mean, we have, you know, I have survey monkeys that I have students fill out. Everybody fills them out in the beginning. But, you know, there's a natural attrition to any kind of nutrition yes. program. Yes. Um, it's not right for them at the time. They just fell off the wagon, whatever. So, but when we look at our survey monkeys from after, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. And then just the feedback I get from, thank you so much. You changed my life. And the weight loss has almost become a side effect. You know, yes. more yes. about my cholesterol is better, my blood pressure, you know, my autoimmune disease. I'm having, to, I'm getting to take less steroids. I'm, you know, all of those things, the non scale benefits are by far outweighing the weight loss. And so that to me is just, I just feel like as a physician, you know, it was hard to walk away from that traditional delivering babies, seeing all your babies at church or, you know, at the grocery store. And, but I feel like this is where I'm meant to be in my fifties. I'm 51 and that
0: I'm helping more women this way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go delve a little deeper into how um, you discovered. So when women are going through menopause, there's a perimenopausal phase, which is when they begin to pack on the calories, but all of their hormones are normal. When you actually check their hormones, it looks like you're not necessarily getting menopausal. What was, what is it that they need to look for like if they're going to their doctor it almost looks like if they just do your nutrition program that'll work but a lot of people have to make that journey that you made a journey to doing this like i just got to address the nutrition differently most people want to go to their doctor and say do some testing on me tell me what's wrong and never get it done that's how people find their way into my practice because as a functional medical doctor one of the things i do is a lot of testing not because i need it That's the only way I get my patients engaged because they want want to know why am I saying this? I'm like, okay, here's why. Yeah, Mm -hmm. here is what it is. Here's your red. Here's your yellow. Here's your green. I need you to get to green. When I see someone, I can see when I see insulin resistance. I can see when they have an estrogen dominance. And um, or they have a very low testosterone. These are all like very obvious clinical signs and symptoms. But most people need to be convinced. What are they asking for? And how do you see like the estrogen is done? What are the changes these women undergo? Is it like the midsection gets bigger, or do they just generally gain weight? What do they need to look for? So the testing is a little hard
1: as far as just checking an estrogen level because. Yeah. Um, ovaries don't just die overnight. It's a sputtering phenomena where they yes. work for a while and they don't, and you just have this constantly fluctuating level. But as far as the physio- you know, what you're feeling as a patient, the, the classical signs are you're starting to gain weight in your midsection, you know, in places where you never had before. Typically, before. In you cannot identify a cause you are eating the same, you're working out the same. I'm not talking what I went through with depression and and all that, you know, you are, um, or you're trying to make a change and nothing's kind of working. Um, also hot flashes are big, you know, not for everyone. About 80% of patients will start experiencing hot flashes to some degree. Mine were horrific. I mean, um, mine waking up three to four times at night, um, and then waking up to the point where you're instantly awake, not like you're groggy. So it's really hard to fall back asleep. sleep. Um, also, um, the brain fog is another one. Uh, mm-hmm. We all joke about um, early timers or, you know, but where you're just not thinking as clearly where, where things like calculations and things that used to be so easy for you, you're really struggling with. Um, those are some of the key symptoms as far as what you're feeling as you're starting to go through those changes. And perimenopause average is about seven years. Mm -hmm. Average age of men's cessation, like ovaries are done, shut down forever, is 51. So we
0: start seeing these changes in our early 40s. Right, right. So um, we have the, um, you know, a a few important points in what you um, are saying is and i've seen this complaint right these are uh women who are thin all their lives weight was never an issue and then suddenly they begin to gain in the midsection and no matter what exercise you do you lose weight everywhere else but the midsection is like hardcore just stays and that, that's one number one because the women who actually gain weight are always struggle with obesity usually have leptin and insulin resistance is what i've noticed um, but the estrogen comes really in the perimenopausal phase. And I know you don't do any of the testing, but you, uh, once they have this mood irritability, but there was also a very important point that you brought out. You said your brother died, so you went into depression. But usually there, there is a life-changing event that catapults them. And so they assume it's, that's what is feeding into their depression and weight gain. So they tend to blame themselves a lot. Yes. By the time they come to doctors like you and me, it's like, you know, I know this happened and, you know, life was never the same. I went through a divorce or whatever it may be, a life-altering event. So we they tend to stay longer. Have you found that it's easier to get uh, women who, um, first of all, I don't know why we have to make this 10-year journey before we decide we're going to do the right thing. But we all do do that. Um, but have you noticed that is there um? Like at what point would you tell a woman, uh, this is time and don't try to do like the traditional things because people are going on a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. They are going on a carnivore diet. That's a new thing that's, you know, creeping up 80, 90% of your diet comes from beef. And um, I don't think even it's chicken, mostly beef. Um, It's like really meat. And I'm looking at the vascular system and thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to it? Yes. But people are saying, you know, they're getting response to it. So I'm like you, I read all these studies and it's not like everybody fits into the same a whole. Do you modify your diet based on how far they are in that journey? Yes. And how do they know what they have to do for themselves? Is that a part of your course? So, we have kind of
1: two phases. One, most people come, come end up in the course for weight loss. Yes. You know? um, however, a lot of them, it was 5, 10 pounds, they very quickly get to that goal weight. And so, then we switch the focus more to less from weight loss, and we start really, really doing a deep dive into omega-6 and omega-3 ratios and what that looks like nutritionally. And the saturated to unsaturated fat ratio, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying all beef is bad or all chicken is bad, you know, but all the data that I've read is you should probably have one and a half times the amount of unsaturated fat versus saturated. And that has been proven to, for longevity and and overall health. Um, But that's a lot to take on when you've been eating the traditional Western diet, just calorically restricted. And so I really just focus on the macros and the basics. And then once we get them to a weight that they can stop obsessing, that um, they're happy, then we start
0: looking, doing a deeper dive into micronutrients. Okay. So you're moving from, um, let's get, you, get your weight loss in, and then let's talk about a nutrient-dense diet and move away from a calorie-dense diet. Right. Great. Right. Right. Oops, sorry. You know what? My plug point fell. It says my battery is gonna go down.
1: Give me one second. Let me think. Sorry, I didn't even notice that.
0: <laughs> All right. So, um, so that's a that's very um, important, and I think a lot of people don't realize that they do eat a very um, calorie bal. Uh, I would say macronutriently balanced diet. Um, But um, for me, I'm I'm completely plant-based and I'm not averse to fat. I'm a plant-based, high-fat person or Mm -hmm. like reasonably fat um, uh, intrusion into your diet. But a lot of um, the challenges come when you talk about carbohydrates. Is Mm -hmm. carbohydrate a bad word in your nutrition? No, not
1: at all. Okay. um, Processed carbohydrates is a bad word. Yes. Added sugars is a bad word. But, you know, fruits and vegetables are very heavily carbohydrate. And, you know, we eat plenty of those. I, Absolutely. I plenty yep. of those. They're packed. You know, when we talk about carbohydrates, I talk about it as a spectrum. And you have one end of the spectrum where it's just added, you know, purely processed added sugars. And then the other where that berry is, yes, it has some fructose in it, but it is packed with You know, anthocyanins, anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, fiber. I mean, that is a little nut ball of health. (laughs) And so they're wonderful and they taste delicious. And so, you know, everything in moderation, you can't eat the whole pint of berries. But, you know, not all carbs are created equal for goodness sake. And some of them have so much goodness wrapped up in them besides just that little bit of fructose or or, um, just carbohydrates
0: in general. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: So... You know, if it came from the ground, it's pretty much okay.
0: So Yeah, yeah. So it's basically as long as whole food, plant strong and not processed in a plant, we're good to go in terms of. So you actually have satisfaction because what I've noticed with most of the diets, the reason people don't like to get on diets, because it's all about um, restriction. It's all about contracting and not abundance.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's why a lot of diets fail, because you're restricting, restricting, and restricting. And so when you are... It's punishment yes. Something and Exactly. I gave up, I gave up that. We're, not, we're never talking about what did we include in our diet that's promoting our health and well-being, but where a lot of us are talking about what I removed, um, and yet my results are not as much, yeah. because I've removed all of these things. What
1: I found is, you know, in my program, I've always had a gift as an educator and especially for taking kind of complicated sciencey things and breaking it down right. um, in layman's terms. And I've done that. Like when we get to the anti inflammatory component of the program, I do a, a very deep dive into specific, you know, artificial coloring, flavoring, additives, nitrates, and why those are inflammatory and how. Um, and then on the flip side, I talk about the things that are naturally anti-inflammatory and why and how. So when you look at your plate and what you're choosing to eat, you know, I don't have a lot of you can't have this or that or, you know, other than like processed. things heavily processed. Yeah. You're looking at your plate and you're like, that's going to help me decrease my risk of cancer. This is going to help me. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. delicious. Um, yeah. This is packed with omega-3. And, you know, so when you start thinking of food that way, in a health way, and how is this going to improve my overall health?
0: <laughs> right. And you know, that's a very important aspect of nutrition um, journey itself. Look at nutrition as nutrition, something that feeds into your health, and not nutrition as entertainment, and not nutrition <laughs> as, um, you know, an addiction. These mm-hmm. are the two other things that nutrition can be. I'm addicted to my diet pop, or I gotta have my two cookies at bedtime, or Look at nutrition as, like you said, this is rich in omega-3. This has got uh, so much of nutrients that it's going to really get my skin clear or my bowels to move. Mm-hmm. So when people start losing weight, um, because most of the patients, you, as you mentioned, who get on or the students who get on to your program usually have about 5 to 15 pounds to lose. You're not necessarily getting 20, 30 wow. No, yeah, but a lot of them are in the,
1: you know, they just put on a little, some, they put on, bumped them up a couple of BMIs and yeah, they're, yeah. you know, wanting yeah. to get back genes.
0: Um, uh, Yeah. And like just basically their waist, waistline has to go down. Do they begin to see how many weeks does it take them to get to that point where they feel like encouraged? Because, uh, uh, yeah, our attention span is, is seven seconds. It is just...
1: We do see kind of a big whoosh at first, Um, and I I think it's just when they're cutting out the like hardcore things that are inflammatory, they have a big water loss. You know, all that edema is letting go, and so then they're and it's kind of nice because they have that initial scale like positivity, and they're like, "Whoa, I've lost five pounds in the first week," and I'm like, "It's just water. Just hang in there." (laughs) You know, Um, then they kind of have to do the the hard part because now that initial excitement and motivation, and now it's becoming, an, and we work really hard on building habits, you know, focusing on those small daily changes that add up over the long run. And where do you want to be in a year? Where do you see yourself in a year? Right. So it, I want to say it's about, you know, that six week mark of sticking with it, of rebuilding those habits, of rethinking, of relearning. It takes about a month for the intermittent fasting. You know, we kind of face people in through the three components of the program, and I start with fasting. One, because if they've never done it, they're scared to death of it, and it ends up being super easy. Um, so it takes about a month for the irrit- ir- excuse me, irritability and that initial, like I have to have breakfast, for you to get over that hump and then to not feel hungry in the morning. Most people fast in the morning. So once they're over that hump, they probably lost 5 to 10 pounds just right there. Right. Then we start looking at making the nutritional changes to fight inflammation. Then they start seeing the real pounds come off. And then at the end, we start looking at macros, like breaking up with calories and really looking at macros and, and you know, what that means long-term. And that's when those long-term habits really come into play. So when I do the private coaching groups for Galveston Diet, we do a six-week program. Got it. Guided coaching to get them okay.
0: through those terms. And after that, it's just a matter of uh, sustainability of the diet? Yeah. Okay. How much, um, uh, how, what, what is the role of cortisol or stress in this transformation? How much oh, do you talk about it? You know, there's
1: lots of data out there. I haven't done any measurements of it, but just by anecdotal evidence of the students telling me stress levels are down, they um, you know, cortisol is so huge also in this centripetal weight gain. Yeah. Um, I have to guess that the levels are lower. Um, I don't have anybody with that who's told me with Addison's that they're getting their stuff measured. So, um, so I think that it all feeds in together. And then if you're eating things more nutritiously, then your body's not going to be as stressed out and your cortisol levels will just naturally go
0: down. Absolutely. So right now, um, you, your, um, um, nutrition program is completely online, yeah. correct? It's and how do people, yeah. And how do people find you?
1: Um, www.galvestondiet.com. It's G A L B E S T O N, um, is our website. It'll take you to the program. It has lots of, and, and I have a blog where I talk a lot about menopause and changes in hormones. Um. I have links to, I have YouTube channel for the Galveston Diet, Instagram, the Galveston Diet, Facebook, the Galveston Diet, <laughs> all things Galveston Diet. So it's G-A-L-V-A-S-T-O-N diet.com. E-S-T-O-N. E-S. Yes. Galveston. Okay, I'm just going
0: to put it in the chat. Just check and see if I got it right. Yep, that's it. Perfect. All right. So um, it should be to everybody. Oh, my God. I didn't do it for the attendees. Let's do this again.
1: Well,
0: yeah, diet.com. Got it. And um, so is there anything that I should have asked and I haven't asked you? You know, I can't think of anything.
1: I'm just so happy to come and share and, and talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, I went back to school and got certified in culinary medicine. I, uh, through Tulane university, I looked at getting a master's in nutrition. I just knew that because you, like you said, we didn't learn anything in our medical school and very little in training about actual nutrition. So I felt like if this is my path, I've got to get some more data, (laughs) you know, and, um, so I, I got certified in culinary medicine. It was one of the best things I've ever done. And it really did give me hope because Tulane University now requires its medical students to work in the kitchen. So we actually had to work in the kitchens and cook and learn how to teach um, patients or students, you know, techniques in the kitchen, um, come up with meal plans, that type of thing. And I was super excited to be working side by side with medical students in their test kitchens. Um, oh, nice. and that hopefully this next generation, we're making some progress to really focus prevention rather than you know our training was it's broken fix it here's a pill here's a therapy whatever and there's there's definitely room for that i'm not knocking that you know i'm a great surgeon but i i feel like you know we we missed a big chunk and and i just you know hopefully the will the medical training will change as time goes on
0: right right i mean, in fact when you look at medical training we talk about physiology and biochemistry a lot of it is about how food is digested however our uh, pathology and pharmacology is completely different it's always about let's identify the disease yeah and fix it either remove the organ if the person can survive and or fix it with drugs and i remember the excitement in medical school was learning the names of drugs so i think moving away from that understanding the physiology and biochemistry understanding food itself and How it's prepared is very important. Where it comes from is very important. And we don't know any of this. And I've seen uh, patients who would go, uh, will get discharged from the hospital with an attack of diverticulitis or get a tumor removed from their gut. And they'll ask their doctor, like, so what should I be eating? Or the gallbladder removed. And so you can eat whatever you want six weeks from now. And it's like, whatever got you there, you're just telling them, go ahead, and you've made that food uh, really irrelevant, and I think it's very good that the next generation actually is looking at this in a different I mean, they have the opportunity, I should say. Not everybody is, but uh, people have the opportunity to change their health. Um, there are so many programs. One, something is going to resonate and actually help you, so I, I, I feel like any one of you listening to this and struggling with that midsection weight gain and telling yourself, you know, I've tried everything, this may be something you want to take a, a look at and, of course, get back with me and let me know if this actually worked, right? So thank you again so much for your time. This, this is awesome to know, and I, I think uh, you've inspired me enough to uh, go and actually look at your uh, website and maybe I will become one of your students and huh. um, send me an email and I can set you up no problem oh, thank you thank you yes I will and I, I do appreciate your time very much and uh, thank you if there are any questions I don't know if the attendees have questions you can actually um, put it in your chat box because that would help us um, uh, so Norma do you have a question if you want to ask a question and actually I can, you can, if you look at the chat box at the bottom, if you had a question, you can go ahead and ask. Uh, Let's see here. I don't have any on Facebook. I just have a few people. Everybody watches quietly. Nobody wants to say anything. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I will keep in touch. All right. Thank you so much. Already then. If you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you've gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.